and welcome once again to this edition of the Driving You Crazy Podcast. I'm Denver 7 traffic anchor for the moment, Jason Luber. I'm Denver 7 producer Joseph Peters. I'm still trying to recruit people to come out here. Are you? Yes, I am. You know, in this business, you never know what's going to happen from week to week, so we might have new people in here. Am I getting replaced by Nicole Brady? <laughs> she, she, I'm telling you, she was eyeing you as, as, as you were walking in right here. Um, you know, from week to week to job to job, you really know, never know what's going to happen in this business. It really is kind of crazy that way. Feel free to contact us while we are still here. Uh, I'm at Denver 7 Traffic on Twitter. I'm at Joseph Denver 7 on Twitter, and we both go by our real names on Facebook, so you can find that stuff too. And I'm not on Snapchat because I really don't see the point of it for adults. I don't either. I'm completely on your wavelength with this one. Snapchat's one of the most useless social messengers out there. All I see is some of the other anchors around town. One of them, this 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 woman, she she does that Snapchat feature where it gives you the cat ears or whatever deal. I, I'm telling you, that's the only thing I ever see it used for. And doesn't Instagram do that now? Are you an Instagram person? This is where I insert the cricket sound. You know, I don't. I don't really care a whole lot about the, the all those other Instagrams and the Snapchats and all the things. At this at this point in my life, I'm going to stick with two forms of social media and then run with it. That's going to be my life right there. I'm just going to stick with those, uh, enjoy them, embrace them, and then move on with my life. That's that's the only thing I can do now, Joseph. I think you should host live shows. Really? Yeah. Do some like. Well, I do. Uh, I do the Facebook Live on Fridays. But that's what I'm saying. Like, you could do some open mic stuff. Do to do some crowd interaction type stuff. I think that'd be a really interesting look for you. Maybe I should go get a <laughs> microphone. I'll just take the microphone out of this room here. I'll go get my um, amplifier that I have in my basement. I'll just get the uh, plug it in, and I'll just stand over here on the street corner and just uh, like I set up a little table and just have a live show. You know, there's a guy on the 16th Street <laughs> Mall that already does that. Oh, it's not he? very enjoyable. Okay. <laughs> All right. Well, you know, you apartment dwellers don't have to concern yourself with cleaning up all the broken limbs after the May snowstorm we had over the weekend, like you. That's true. Somebody I does had nearly, that for me. I had nearly a foot of snow in my place. A foot of snow, Joseph! You have nothing to say, I know. Uh, I finally finished building all the uh, branch uh, bundles, I should say, so that I could haul out to the, uh, the trash heap. Uh, I was going to haul them out, but I couldn't get it in time because, well... I was waiting for a better saw to take take the limbs down. That's such a man problem to have, right? I, I was like using my other the better saw. I have this bow saw, and the blade kept flipping, so I had to get a better saw. That's masculine. That is. All right. Anyway, enough of my whining. On with the program. In fairness, that's a great way to get get a workout. Like I'm looking forward to having the dad exercise program of cleaning the yard, picking up the kids, etc. My arms are very sore. I'm telling you that there were a lot of branches, a lot of trees down. Um, anyway, there are many reasons why I I don't like to ride on public transportation. It's not really as desirable as driving your own car. The obnoxious or sometimes downright offensive smells that come from other people, not just myself, uh, but from other people, uh, or even the smells that come from the apparatus that you're driving, you're riding on yourself, whether it's the train or the bus or whatever, it, it can be a real deterrent, to say it p- politely. I can't tell you how challenging it is to not overtly plug my nose. When I was riding on the 15 bus down East Colfax, there were some unkept riders on that bus with me. It's it's not just me. Others feel this way, too. Yeah, I mean, sometimes that smell just takes your breath away. Well, the fine folks at the Los Angeles Metro System say they're trying to combat some of their smelly train cars with new deodorizers. That ought to help. Apparently, many riders have complained about the unpleasant aromas that tend to settle into the cars after several hours of ferrying around passengers with 
wildly varying personal hygiene habits. The charcoal-filled devices absorb odors while simultaneously releasing a pleasant lavender vanilla scent. The Metro promises the new aroma will be very, very slight. Well, hopefully not slight enough to not notice it, to at least cover up some of the smells, you know. Metro's already steam cleaning their, their trains and buses, the seats there. Only takes a couple hours, I would think, for it to go sour, wouldn't you think? I mean, given the hygienic qualities of some of the people that ride these things, I would tend to agree that it's going to go south very quickly. Locally, RTD, I don't know what they do to deodorize their buses and trains. I mean, I know in a lot of places it's just the driver's responsibility to sweep up at night, and they don't really do a lot of deep cleaning except maybe once a week. Yeah, I think a lot of those things just need a good old-fashioned scrub down. Mm -hmm. All right, so there's so much said now about how self-driving cars are going to make our lives so easy. Well, one urban designer thinks that self-driving cars are going to make our lives much, much worse. His name is Peter Calthorpe, and he talked about this at a recent TED Talks conference. So Peter says what autonomous vehicles offer in terms of convenience is far outweighed by their isolating effects on people's daily lives. He says that putting people in their private bubbles whether they have a steering wheel or not, is the wrong direction. Self-driving cars will revitalize sprawl in a way that he says makes him deeply frightened. Look, I, I, I would like Peter to lighten up just a little bit. Like the old uh, line from Stripes, lighten up, Francis. Very well done. Uh, Peter doesn't dispute there's going to be significant advantages to having a world of self-driving cars, but he thinks people will treat their cars as butlers or chauffeurs giving people even less of an incentive to put down their phones and laptops and talk to their neighbors face-to-face. He, like many other people who are single-minded in these issues, would like to see cities become more walkable and bike-friendly and not have anyone living out in the countryside, except if you're a farming, I guess, right? During his talk, he discussed how fewer people who live in a large downtown city own a car. But he says nearly 100% of the streets are still dedicated to driving. He says the imbalance ought to tilt more towards pedestrian-friendly modes of transit. Again, he's single-minded in this issue. And what he doesn't see that not everyone wants to walk around. Or can walk around. Not everybody can do that. Stop being so selfish, Jason. All I'm saying is there's no easy way to walk from Denver to Aurora, because every the only way to get there is by highway or by taking a long, long stretch of side streets, and there should be a more direct route for people who are pedestrians who are moving either on bike or on foot. That's why the city path around the city here in Denver, where there's a pedestrian and bike-friendly area going all the way around the city, makes so much sense. There are so many people that use bikes or their legs as, the, as a form of transportation. They need to be able to get seven miles at a time sometimes. If we, if we were all intended to walk everywhere, the caveman wouldn't have invented the wheel. Uh, if everyone was walking around, <laughs> then all you would have is sidewalk congestion and lines at intersections of people waiting to cross the street. Instead of it being on the street, it'd be on the sidewalks. There's still going to be crowds of people, whether it's on the road or on the sidewalk. And then you have to dodge the buses or trains that are ferrying other people around town, right? Well, some people want to have their agenda to be the only one used by everyone. He wants his way, and that's the only way to get people around a city. And many people think this way, where the car should be outlawed and everyone should just live in a high-density city and walk or take transit everywhere. Just ask Street Blogs Denver. They're, they're very single-minded in this, these issues. When any group of people come together, there has to be compromise. It doesn't matter what the issue is, right? It doesn't matter what they're dealing with. I, I'm not a huge fan of transit, but I don't believe it's abhorrent. 
I, I like riding a bike, but would I rather see bike lanes on secondary streets or dedicated bike paths rather than on the main arteries where we can move vehicles more efficiently? Yeah, that's, that's what I'd like to see. Same for pedestrians. There are ways to accommodate all of these methods of transportation without labeling one as bad and taking from all that part of the infrastructure and giving it to the others. And that leads me into this story, Joseph. As I was reading Car and Driver, the, the story had this title, Comfortably Dumb. If the car is doing the driving, will anybody be doing the thinking? Spoiler alert, no, they will not. <laughs> If autonomous cars eventually colonize our roads, there'll be no more mental calculations of time, distance, and speed. No best guessing what that idiot in the left turn lane is going to do instead of just turning left. No more deciding whether to give a courtesy wave or honk the horn or flip the bird. The self-driving vehicle will turn off the driving mind. It will, you, you'll relinquish control and responsibility of the driving, and it could actually make us dumber. We could be stupid people riding around in vehicles. Uh, you know from not driving that off. I'm not calling you stupid. Yeah, or yeah, dumb. I think you're. I think you're going there. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm just saying you've lost some of your skills of driving because you're not doing it that often. Oh, I, I'm terrified to see what I'm going to look like when I'm back behind the wheel. As autonomous vehicles allow us more time for contemplating the state of the universe, this guy named John D. Lee, he's an engineer and a professor over the University of Wisconsin, he thinks that autonomous vehicles are going to be really a mixed bag for our minds. He says the oxymoron of autonomy is that we think it reduces skill requirements when often it increases them. If it's not full autonomy, then sometimes you need to interact. We need to remain vigilant and ready to step in when necessary. Automatic makes things easier and hard things harder. Skills we don't use will atrophy, just like you said, while you're because you, you don't drive that often. Right. So fully autonomous vehicles that don't break down will almost certainly make us more cognitively lacy about driving and likely will affect or de-skill us over time so that when there's an emergency, we're basically incapable of saving ourselves from this vehicle that is now controlling itself that wouldn't be controlling itself and we can't control it because we forgot how. The dangerous thing here is that we lose our skills we, that we per- periodically need to, to, to have to drive safely if there's an emergency. So Professor Lee suggests that driver training will need to adapt to semi-autonomy. And those technologies need to be designed to keep us sharp, not always to drive for us, but rather prompt us to drive better and maybe even offer some constructive criticism of our skills. That's all we need. A backstreet, a backstreet, a, a backseat computer driver telling us how bad we're doing. I mean, in that case, it wouldn't even be in the back seat, right? They'd probably put it right in the dash and have it flash <laughs> the tips right in front of your eyes as you're yeah. going. And, and maybe it could be sassy and just call you names or do it in a British accent so it sounds even worse. It would be better if it was Samuel L. Jackson. <laughs> See, one, thing I, one, one example I think of at the top of my head here is phone numbers. I, I don't know that many phone numbers anymore because they're listed as contact names on my phone. I mean, if I had to call my wife, I could call my wife. But my in-laws on their cell phones, I have no idea what their phone number is. My, my sister-in-law, brother-in-law, no clue. It just comes up as their name on my contact list, and that's how I call them. You know, I do the search, and there it is. I have no idea if they're a 303 or a 720. Mm-hmm. I don't. Math skills are gone thanks to calculators, right? It's, it's technology. These technologies are making us dumb. Well, I mean, I think, like they say in the article, you have to remain vigilant. You have to keep, 
you know, testing yourself on the math skills or the driving skills to keep yourself sharp. And I also think that insurance companies are going to play a large part in making sure that somebody's held responsible in these things. Here's my example. If you're a, if you own a self-driving car, you have to carry insurance on that car. Right. So you should be the one behind the wheel and you're going to be the one held liable if there is a crash, whether the crash happens autonomously or not. I mean, I can't see a situation in which everybody gets to sue Ford when their cra- car breaks down because their technology went bad. Yeah. And, yeah. We've talked a bit about that issue and how it's all going to work. So they're going to have to work those issues out in the future. If it, you know, insurance companies, they're not going to want to insure people. And if they do, if they're high risk, they yep. charge you a lot, lot more. Yes, sir. And speaking of automated vehicles, one of the more interesting issues that will have to be worked out as we see more and more of them on the roads will be, should there be, and this is going to be very interesting to think about, a set of ethical standards as these vehicles operate by themselves. I mean, after all, these are really just 3,500-pound robots that are going to be roaming all over their, uh, our cities. We're going to need to decide what is acceptable and predictable behaviors will be for these machines. And the real question here, Joseph, that we're going to have to think about, should we force autonomous cars to save lives? Uh, Follow me here. Should autonomous cars be capable of being employed by properly sanctioned law enforcement, disaster assistance, or peacekeeping organizations to help protect people and assist in times of potential threats both from natural causes or human-created dangerous events. Here's the premise. Okay, so let's say that there's some kind of an emergency situation, a terrorist attack, like the situation over in Manchester, right? Uh, If police were able to determine that there were, let's say, 5 or 10 or 50 uh, autonomous cars empty in nearby parking lots, could they, say, be commandeered to help out? So let's also assume that there's a law in place for autonomous cars that says unless certain criteria are met for an opt-out, any self-driving car must be receptive to commands sent on a special encrypted channel from an authorized law enforcement agency. Okay? Normally, this could be used to stop, let's say, a suspected stolen vehicle, but it could also be used to give driving commands to the cars when no one's inside and the car is just sitting there idle. So the police could then send the commands to the nearby cars. So let's again talk about Manchester. They send them over there to the stadium in the place of where the bombing took place. And then one might block an entrance because they think that maybe there's more uh, terrorists in the area. Some of the other self-driving cars could help the injured get over to the hospital faster instead of waiting for the paramedics to arrive. There could be all kinds of advantages for these law enforcement agencies to use these self-driving cars in these emergency situations, right? During this process, all the cars, let's say they sustained some damage. Let's say there was a shooting also at this, at this scene, and a couple of them were completely disabled, but thanks to their intervention, the process, the progress of, let's say, a terrorist or a shooter was severely impaired, and soon the regular police forces were able to come in, take control of the situation. There's really no logical reason why this couldn't be technically possible. I mean, I think it's more than technically possible. I think it, it very well could happen. And I think you're looking at two different things there, right? You're, you're saying one situation where EMS is using available cars as a sort of ambulance, right? Where they're transporting victims to and from the scene. But then there's another situation when police are using those as actual weapons. And you're talking about 10 or 15 cars that you're just pulling out of parking lots yeah. to give chase to a suspect. I mean, that's a little scary. Well, you could have a central command center that would be really informed to all these vehicles and then coordinate where they could go, and then they would be able to send the GPS coordinates where they want them to be positioned and theoretically stop a person doing something bad, 
before they can do more harm to other people. So wouldn't that be more uh, beneficial to the general public than the damage that could be done or any kind of potential danger by, like you said, moving all those vehicles at one time around some suspect and then stopping that person before other law enforcement can arrive. It's an interesting premise. So let's consider a disaster like a fire or a flood. Autonomous cars could be called on to ferry people away from the areas of danger into safety zones. Could be called on to create instant roadblocks or barriers as needed to keep people, let's say, from a flooded road long before the official crews could get there on scene. I mean, sure, there's plenty of issues here. Essentially, police commandeering private property, and that property has a high probability of being damaged or destroyed during these emergency situations. Plus, having such command channel leaves the uh, possibility open that it could be hacked. People you don't want commandeering an army of robot cars might have that ability. Let's go back to the phrase army of robot cars, because that's really (laughs) what we're talking about here, is giving police an army of robot cars. Yes. Fantastic. Uh, but the question really here is going to be, do the poss- possible benefits outweigh the risks? I mean, I think if I owned an autonomous vehicle, I'd be hesitant, but I'd also be willing at the same time with it being used for something that could potentially save lives. I mean, cars can be, be replaced. People cannot be replaced. But then again, I'm the kind of person that jumps into the fire rather than runs away from it. So maybe there has to be some sort of reasonable compensation system set up for the owners of these cars that become RoboCop cars. And hopefully the compensation would be better than the passengers on an overbooked United flight where they have to drag somebody off the plane. Uh, Heroism isn't an easy quality to come by. And while most of us would like to believe that we have that capacity to jump in and help at a moment's notice, it's comforting to know that there could be a potential pool of available resources out there that can do what most of us would not or cannot do. I I guess I'm more in favor of doing it than not. I'm going to agree with that. I'm going to agree with that. Well, it's time to commandeer a break. I, I know I really can't well, I can't do that, but... Can you have a robot army do this cut-in for you? Sure, I'd love to. <laughs> Look, I, I'm not quite the sultan of the segue that Steve Kelly from my former days at KOA Radio is, but hey, I'm working on it. Uh, anyway, coming up, the story of a van that was just a bit overloaded. That and much, much more as the Driving You Crazy podcast continues. Everybody, Eric Lufer with Denver 7. You better be watching our show every morning because we're the best, and I'm on it, so uh, start watching. Every once in a while, something that people may not know is that the amount of dancing and messing around that goes on behind the camera, like right before we're about to go live, like a lot of times I will be ready to deliver a snow report, and I will be dancing just to keep warm, and... I just really hope the camera doesn't come to me early because one of these days, the people of Denver and around the metro area are going to get a surprise that will change their lives. Jason Grenauer, only on Denver 7. The craziest thing that happens on a morning show is unfortunately not during the morning show. It's typically during the commercial breaks. There's a lot that goes on. We wake up really early in the morning, and so we're always a little bit tired, a little bit off our rocker at times. So... Unfortunately, you don't get to see it. We see it. Lisa Hidalgo, only on Denver 7. 
Welcome back to the Driving You Crazy Podcast, brought to you by... Uh, that long pause is because we don't have a sponsor. Well, of course, we would like a sponsor to provide us with some operating capital, as they call it. One person in the newsroom, though, Joseph, offered to buy a year package as a title sponsor for $10. I support it. What? I'll take it. I turned it down. I do it. Give me a free sponsorship. I'm not... What? No! (laughs) I'm not against individuals sponsoring the broadcast. But look, we need some cash. I don't have a number in mind. I don't have a figure of what it's going to take. I'd like to entertain some offers. Yes? No? Maybe so? Larry H. Miller, I'm talking to you. (laughs) By the way, I'm still waiting for those checks to start rolling in for my other brilliant ideas I unleashed in previous episodes. You know what? I told these guys that we had the Shark Tank people, because we had that Shark Tank uh, deal yesterday, right? Well, we were having some of the Shark Tank people in the building uh, doing some interviews, and I told one of them, that has this device that you put your phone in there, and it helps, I guess, heat it up and sucks the water out if it falls in the water. Okay. Um, anyway, so they're getting they're getting offers from all over the place for for this thing. Anyway, I gave them my my brilliant idea of my toilet slash garbage disposal combo, where you flush the toilet and it's a garbage disposal, so you never have a clog again. I like that. I, I gave that to them for free, and I said, well, and I said, hey, you know, maybe just a couple of percent finder's fee or inventor's fee, and then they could run with it. I'm still waiting for those checks as well. Get if you have checks, you can always send them to, to Jason Luber, Traffic Guy, 123 East Spear Boulevard, Denver, Colorado, 80203. I just checked my mailbox before this broadcast, and um, it's empty. They moved my mailbox again, by the way. I had to look for it. I had to search for it. Now it's at the end of the row. It moves just about every month because there's new people coming and going around here, Joseph. All right, anyway, okay, uh, this story has nothing to do with traffic, but I saw the story where a home in rural South Carolina was for sale, and the listing says, get this, upstairs apartment cannot be shown under any circumstances. Buyer assumes responsibility for the month-to-month tenant in the upstairs apartment. Occupant has never paid. No security deposit is being held, but there is a lease in place. Yes, it does not make sense. Please don't bother asking, unquote. I'm not buying that house. Not buying that house. I was looking at the pictures. The home was in pretty bad shape and was selling for $130,000. I mean, I was thinking if the water gets shut off or the power goes out for a couple of weeks, the mysterious person in the upstairs apartment is probably going to come out, right? How could someone just be a squatter in a home that's for sale and not come out if the buyer asks him to come out? There's got to be some sort of written document in place, right? Maybe it's a kid. I don't know. I don't know. There's maybe a lot a, of options here. Maybe a good old-fashioned house fire will get him out. Maybe I, sh- <laughs> maybe I shouldn't admit that. Do you meet that person when you tour the house, or are you, no, are you really buying it you sight can't. unseen? It's said right there. You cannot, upstairs apartment cannot be shown under any circumstances. That the person is there and he won't come out. Or she. Or it. Could be Sasquatch. Definitely a she. I'm telling you, a smoke sale will get him right out of there. I don't know, what, what, does it, what does it take to get smoke damage out of a house? Probably a lot easier than getting that person out of the house, right? All right. Well, we hear of the mantra of carpooling and ride sharing all the time. It's an example of taking the. This is here is an example of taking that to the extreme. In China, a driver was pulled over for weaving his van all over the road, nearly causing several crashes. When officers approached the driver, they could not believe what they saw. This there was this gigantic blob of humans in the van. There were so many people inside that they kept bumping into the driver, and that's why he was weaving all over the road. And when the police asked the people inside the van to come out, they found 40 construction workers crammed into a six-seater van. 
I don't believe that. <laughs> I don't believe that that's real. They counted them. They had a picture of it. Uh, additionally, all 40 people wore identical yellow helmets and orange vests. The passengers were all construction workers going to this uh, place across a bridge. Police impounded the van and issued the driver a ticket. The violation for what was for overloading the vehicle. Well, that makes sense. The driver admitted that this was common practice for workers at this construction site. However... What is a podcast? Lisa Hidalgo in the house. I just thought I'd come and interrupt you guys for a second. Have you ever stuffed 40 people into a van? (gasps) No, but I did stuff um, 40 college kids into a PT Cruiser. I don't believe no, that either. Yes, this was a Dandaroo. in a PT Cruiser? Can I tell you the no. story? Dandaroo, <laughs> Channel 2, yes, WB. Yeah. My husband and I, I was interning there. My husband was shooting, and so that was our goal one morning. We got all of my college friends, a bunch of them, and we shoved into a PT Cruiser, and I laid on the dashboard. Were there people, were there legs hanging out of the windows? And Well, I don't know if it was really 40, but it no, was No, they were, like, exactly. That's yeah, what I'm about. seven people in a PT Cruiser. Come on now. A little exaggeration. 40. It was probably about 20, 25. We've gotten 12 into a van before, like a six-seater. I feel like that's not even that extreme, though. I did ride in a trunk one time to the uh, drive-in oh, in college. Say, <laughs> Jason was abducted. It was very odd. He got... No police report was filed. What are you doing here? I'm just, I thought I would come say hi. I just, I, I saw the door was closed. I came to report, do my weather recordings for radio, and I saw you two in here, and I thought, this looks like fun. Time for a guest appearance. Yeah, I, you two. I mean, what are you guys talking about right now? Uh, we were talking about 40 people in a van. Well, but now, sorry to interrupt I'll, that. I'll, What's I'll, the next topic? Can I read it like no, you would you read can. it? Come on, give it no, to me. No, you can't. You cannot touch my notes. <laughs> just come on. No! Once. Not at all! Never! Oh. <laughs> all right, uh... Lisa Hidalgo out. You guys have fun in here, okay? <laughs> By the way, I wish, I hope that your listeners, all five of them, um, know what's happening, what the situation is. So it's two grown men in a really tiny, really warm right now really audio. Hot. Really it's warm. It's hot. Yeah. And they're staring at each other longingly across this table. It's pretty cute, boys. Six square feet, man. <laughs> Six square foot studios. That's what it is. That's, that's what we're going to call it. Okay, back to work. That intermission brought to you by Lisa Hidalgo. Gone? Is it clear? Is it safe yet? I have no idea. <sighs> well, this is completely derailed, hasn't it? Well, uh, I wanted to talk about this last story here, Joseph. I was talking about the other day with somebody. It wasn't Lisa. It was somebody. It was another. I think maybe it was Stacy um, uh, Donaldson. When she was saying that how bad she thought traffic has become for her drive home, and she said she wishes there could be really be more roads, and then traffic would be spread out and would actually move a lot faster. Well, that conversation reminded me of something I call the brace paradox. Well, I guess I don't just call it. Everybody calls it the brace paradox. Uh, the brace paradox. What, do you, what is it, you ask? What is the brace paradox? Uh, thank you. I'm glad you asked. The basic premise is that you can improve com- uh, commute times by closing roads rather than opening up new ones. So when New York City closed 42nd Street, an incredibly busy crosstown route, many people predicted that it's gonna, it was going to be doomsday, but it wasn't. In fact, traffic sped up. It was a prime example of how the Brace Paradox works. It's a principle conceived by this German mathematician, and it basically says that adding an additional road to a congested area of traffic will actually make time spent in traffic longer for drivers and also explains why closing a road can sometimes speed up traffic. It's completely ridiculous, but it actually works. Interesting. Now, the DOT in South Korea found that when they closed one of the three tunnels in Seoul, they found that traffic actually sped up. 
The reason that the brace paradox works is for the simple reason just about all drivers act selfishly. Each driver wants the shortest possible trip for themselves, and they're not thinking in a communal way that might make everyone's trip shorter. This is also why the zipper merge will never, ever work, because drivers act selfishly and not communally, and therefore they sit in traffic longer than they otherwise would need to. This is why we need self-driving cars. Exactly, because they act not selfishly. Uh, so thinking that all cities, all they need to do to reduce traffic congestion is just build new roads, it's really not always correct. When a new street is open, drivers are going to use it and end up clogging both the new street and the streets that they used to use in the past. And by the same token, if you close a street, you ease traffic on the access roads, but don't make much of a dent in the already busy street that drivers would have already been on. That doesn't make any sense. It, I know it, it sounds like it's super, super confusing. And sometimes the brace paradox doesn't really hold because it really depends on demand. When there's a lot of demand, say at rush hour and very low demand, such as the wee hours of the morning, like when I come to work, a new route may work just fine. But during busy times, drivers learn that certain roads are so congested that they learn over time to switch their routes. And that's when the brace paradox doesn't work that well because they're looking for alternate routes. And that's why ways can really mess with traffic patterns. So the app. So I told that person, I told Stacy uh, that we don't really need new roads. What we really need to invent is a teleportation device, so we don't need roads at all. Preach. Just Preach imagine on. beaming anywhere around the world. We could grab a bagel in New York City and then a cup of coffee in Seattle and then head to work in Vail all in about 15 minutes total time. That sounds amazing. Uh, maybe we could get some bangers and mash, go to London, and then head to Scotland for some haggis and then get back home for dinner in 20 minutes with Sean Connery. Doesn't he like haggis? Does he transport or teleport? That's the real question. He's too cool to do that. Uh, The possibilities are really endless, you know? I mean, find yourself in an emergency situation, you beam right out of there. Moving anywhere at at an instant would be a way of life. You go anywhere, anytime, any, any, how? It'd be amazing. Right? I mean, commerce would be easier, too. The broken trees in your backyard are piling up, so you need because you got a foot of snow over this stupid May storm and brought down all your trees. <laughs> so you need a new saw because the old saw you were using was flexing and not working right because it was aluminum piece of crap, and then you break it, and so now you need a new saw. So instead of waiting for a couple of days for the Amazon Prime to deliver the saw to me, I could have teleported to the store. In this case, it was a really nice saw, so it was made in Sweden. I could have teleported to Sweden, bought the saw, and then teleported right back, and then been on my way sawing down the trees. This is a beautiful fantasy world you're, you're painting for us here, Jason. I mean, well, I guess first I would have had to stop at the currency converter Get some store. meatballs, yeah. No, 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 I need to go change the currency into Swedish whatever. <laughs> then I could have bought some of the meatballs and my saw. And then teleported back right there. And then I could have, when I was done cutting all the wood, I could have teleported right out of there. Just had the wood teleported right to the whatever, right? Maybe to the wood chipper. And then the wood chipper could have mulched that wood. And then I could have teleported all that mulch right back to the house that I could have used it in the landscaping. It's brilliant. Brilliant, I tell you. Look, if it worked for Star Trek, why can't it work for, for, for us? That's, I mean, that's literally the way that I live my life. Sure, there's complications from reanimation of all your atoms in the correct order every single time you want to teleport from one place to the next. But hey, if Scotty could do it, why not us? Scotty can do anything. Didn't Scotty die? The new one from the new thing? Sure. Okay. 
this this second half of the show is completely derailed. I, I, I'm glad that Lisa walked in when we were talking about construction workers piling into a van because I felt like that was a topic that she could really contribute to. <laughs> and boy, did she! Yes, yay! See, I'm telling you, at any time, anybody could just open the door here. Nicole could be next. The unpredictable Driving You Crazy podcast. There you go. There you have it. You never know who's going to show up. All right, it's time to teleport out of here. Uh, uh, until then, until next time, I'm your traffic friend, Denver 7 traffic anchor, Jason Luber. I am producer Joseph Peters. Be safe, and as always, happy motoring. <laughs>